We're looking at Exodus chapter 3. Moses is now 80 years old, according to Acts chapter 7 and verse 30. He's been in Midian for 40 years. God's not in a hurry. Did you know that? Sometimes I wish he were, but he's just not in a hurry. And we need to wait on him. Isaiah says this, he that believeth shall not make haste. We're always in a hurry, but God never is. He always has a plan, and he always operates that plan to perfection. And he wants us to just trust him, not to make haste, and to realize that he's going to use us if we're available. It's not about ability, but availability. And uh, all of us are able if we yield ourselves to God. You see, Moses was just like the rod in God's hand. The rod God gave Moses, Moses was in, in, in God's hand that same way. I was thinking about him having, having murdered someone and God using him. Noah was a drunk, and Jacob was a consistent liar. Samson was a consistent womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair and committed second-degree murder. Peter denied Christ, attempted to kill a guard, got his ear off, tried for his head, but got his ear. The Samaritan woman had been divorced multiple times and was shacking up with a guy. You know what God did? He used all of them. Amen. Don't think he can't use you. Be available. Be available. But we're going to read verses 1 through 5 in Exodus chapter 3. If you have that, stand with me. As I said, we need to be like Moses in the hand of God. Remember Moses had that rod? God said, throw it down. It became a snake. Pick it up. It became a rod again. We need to just say, God, take me like that rod and use me. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 is what we're going to read. We're going to study down through verse 10. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, I know last week we read where Ruel had given his daughter uh, Zephorah, and so we concluded Ruel may have been his father-in-law, but most scholars believe it was Jethro. And here's why that's important for you to understand. The little Hebrew word can be translated father, father-in-law. The word son can be son, son-in-law, grandson. The word can be translated father, grandfather. So... It's a challenge, and the context usually lets us know what it is. In this case, I believe personally Jethro's his father-in-law, not Ruel. I think Ruel was probably a grandfather or something to Zephora. But anyway, I know I'm having you standing. I'm not going to preach the whole sermon while you stand. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and beheld the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. He, and he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Remember, we talked about holy ground with another Bible character several months back. The place where thou standest is holy ground. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world. Thank you for the choir, Lord, uh, for singing to the best of their ability and, and good harmony, and they harmonized well, and, and Bryce, a special, it was all good this morning. Whenever I'm in God house, God's house, it's good because you're good, God. We thank you. We ask you to bless us, and we pray that you just put your hand in this service, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, we're going to look at several shepherds. First of all, the hireling or the hired shepherd. Then we're going to look at the great shepherd, and finally, we'll look at the under-shepherd, Moses, who ended up being an under-shepherd. 
Here he is faithfully keeping the flock. He's watching sheep. I mean, 40 years, you're herding sheep. It's part of leadership God's building in him, but we think of the fact that David was watching sheep when God called him. Here's Moses for 40 years. He's now 80, and God's going to call him to lead the children of Israel. And it's amazing to me to see an 80-year-old man leading the nation. But we see here the flock, of course, the sheep, important. And remember that when Jacob was on his way to see Joseph, Joseph sent word and said, Dad, paraphrasing, of course, the Egyptians don't like sheep. They think they're an abomination. So when you get here, don't announce to everyone that you're a shepherd of sheep. And, and so we have the flock here. Moses is have, leading this flock. And we have, the Bible says, Jethro is following the priest. Josephus has a lot to say about the priesthood back then. We find it way back with Melchizedek, as we learned a few weeks ago in, in Genesis 14. And he's on the backside of the desert. There's an ancient inscription there <clears throat> referring to getting copper from the land of the gods. Now remember, the Egyptians were polytheists. Poly means many. They had many gods. They had gods for everything. We're going to study the plagues and realize every plague God sent destroyed their image of one of their gods. Just humiliated their so-called gods and showed them how stupid their gods were. And so here, he's on the back side of the de desert. The Egyptians considered this a sacred area. What's he doing? He's herding sheep, getting ready to lead the nation. Here it mentions the, the mountain of God. We know this to be Sinai was what the Jews called it. It was called Horeb as well. And here he's there where he'd later get the law. So he'd learn this area, wouldn't he? He'd learn all about the desert. And he says here he's in the mountain of God. And that's that great word Elohim. Find that 17 times in this chapter. We find Yahweh in this chapter six times. And so now we get to a great verse, verse 2. Now remember, when you see the word Lord, you need to identify the letters. Are they, are they small letters or capital? These are all capital. And the definite article, the word the here, the angel of the Lord is not just an angel, but this is Jesus Christ before Bethlehem. He comes in angelic form. He's an angel in the bush. Now, remember, the Bible says angels can appear to be people. We could entertain them unaware. You could have them over for dinner, not even realize they're angels, unless you grew up, knew where they grew up, knew them personally. But if a visitor came to your house, it could be an angel because they would appear that way. Here's Jesus appearing prior to Bethlehem as an angel. And uh, we call this a theophany or a Christophany. And those are big words, but you even know the Greek words because the word theopony is the word theos, theology, and epiphany, an appearance of God. You say, but this was Christ. But remember, he is God. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Christophany is, of course, Christ epiphany. And this is specifically Christ, isn't it? The Messiah who would come one day in flesh, the incarnation, and die on the cross for our sins. So here now is the angel of the Lord, an epiphany or, or a Christophany, a, the, a theopony, here appearing. Notice here in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen, same word. Seen and appeared, same word. You know, the Bible says no man hath seen God at any time. So this was not God the Father. He's a spirit. This was the angelic, Jesus Christ, who would later be flesh. 
And so if you want to see God uh, as, uh, living in that era, you'd see a theophany. If you want to see God in the New Testament era, you'd see Jesus. If you want to see God now, you look in the Bible. In the beginning was the Word. That's the word logos, by the way. And the Word became flesh. If you want to see Jesus, you're going to see him in here. When he comes again, every eye is going to see him. Now, I can't wait till that day. First, he's going to rapture the church, and I'm going to meet him in the air. Been waiting for that for all my life. Since I've been saved, I can't wait to meet the Lord. I wish he'd take the church today. I mean, I like chili, but not enough to miss Jesus. Amen? <laughs> and then when we come back on those white horses and he takes control of this earth, can you imagine just being here with him? You know, he says we'll have the mind of Christ. We will know everything the moment we're changed at the rapture. But actually, when we come back, the Bible said Jesus will still be able to teach us more in the new temple. To think you know all the things of God, and then he's going to teach you more. Only God can teach a know-it-all everything. Amen? Yeah. <clears throat> I was so blessed. I, I brought such good kids. Uh, they were all at the hospital. One drove from St. Louis. They're at the hospital praying for me. You know, you can't beat that. Amen? And uh, we just had a good time, and I thought, you know, Lord, I don't know why you brought us together here, but it sure was a special day for me Friday and then Saturday morning to be with, with my, the ones I love. And just think about, and the Lord made that special. Just think about when he returns, what that's going to be like. Just think about that glad reunion day when we're all together in heaven, amen? When we get to see our loved ones, and I get to see my grandmother again. I love my grandmother. Her name was Grace Scudder. That's a Dutch name. Every time I went to her house, she had candy. Every table had candy. She'd stick it in her pockets. My mom, well, it was a nightmare to her because we'd get all jacked up and ride two hours back to, to, back to Lansing, and, and we were all, especially me, all wired up with candy. Then I'd get sick. Daddy, I'm car sick. You ate too much candy. Daddy, I think I'm going to throw up. You better not throw up. I mean, you know, he was a good man, but I mean, I was all jacked up sick with candy. But I love my grandmother. She loved the Lord. She loved three things, canned peaches, ice cream, and candy. And uh, I'd go to her house. I loved canned peaches, eat them right out of the can, eat ice cream, eat candy. I still love all those three things. And uh, it's a battle not to enjoy those three things. I, I loved those hospital meals. They had dessert with every one of them. And I just loved it. And then my sugar went uh, but I didn't get antsy because I'm a little older than that. But anyway, here, the time we spend with the Lord. Look what it says here. The angel of the Lord appeared. Can you imagine that? And a flame of fire. A fire speaks of judgment. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. Isaiah said, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And what did the angel do? He took a hot coal and cleansed his lips. And here is God appearing in a flame of fire. You know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, God burns with anger against those that worship idols. God hates that. Deuteronomy 4 uh, says to us, we're supposed to love the Lord with all our, our, our heart, our soul, and our might. And if you don't love God like that, you don't love him enough. None of us really measure up. Do you love him with all your, your heart, your soul, and your might? And that's the way we're supposed to love. Here he is, he's appearing in a bush, and the bush burned. The bush was not consumed. The burning bush, or a bush, is only referenced twice in Scripture. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 33 for a moment. This is interesting. You want to mark your Bible here. Deuteronomy 33. 
It says in Deuteronomy 33, 16, it references this experience of the bush. It says in 33, um, 16, here it is. And for precious things of the earth and fullness thereof, and for the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. God dwelt in a bush. And the word dwelt there is interesting, and you want to mark it right next to it, Shekinah. That's, it comes from the same word, Shekinah. Remember the Shekinah glory cloud? They followed it in the day. They had a pillar of fire by night. So that was God leading them, the Shekinah. And here is Shekinah again mentioned, God in the bush. And here's God. He's burning in the bush. And he's, he's in the, the burning bush, the Shekinah. There's a monastery in Sinai today on that same spot. And here's the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, the angel, the son of God, the way, the truth, the life. We can keep going on and on and on about what he is. He's everything. He is God. I love that. And he becomes the incarnate God in the flesh. Now here's Moses, verse three. And he wanted to look closer and get closer to see what's going on. So he gets up closer to the boy. He's wanting to get a glimpse. Can you imagine that? He's intrigued. I would be too. I'd be thinking, what in the world is going on? He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know it's God. When he finds out it's God, he, gets, he becomes afraid. But he's getting closer. And a voice comes and speaks to him, a voice from the bush. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside or got closer to see, God called him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put thy shoes off from thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. So Moses had to take his sandals off, didn't he? You can take yours off. You know what? We're, we're in holy ground today. You say, we are, we are. It's not this facility, the sheetrock, the auditorium. It's not really a sanctuary. You're the sanctuary. God's in you. Everywhere you go, you're on holy ground because he dwells in your body. You're the temple. Just as powerful as that temple is, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are filled with power from on high because you're a temple of God and you are holy ground. That's why when we come to this church and we sing and we, we talk about God, we realize how holy he is. This, this great shepherd is holy and we're in him. And so God calls him. I love Hebrews 1.1. God spoke in divers' manners in various ways and means. He used different ways of communicating, didn't he? You remember Peter had a vision of a sheet, which was a table. That's how they used tables. They were sheets. They were cloths. They put in the ground. They sat. They didn't have chairs like we do, and they ate on a sheet or a piece of cloth. And what did he see? He saw a vision of a sheet with unclean meat. I mean, there was barbecue on there. Buddy's barbecue was on that thing. Yeah, and Bubba Gump shrimp. Years ago, we had a bad experience at Bubba Gump's. Uh, we went in there, and my son immediately started to get sick to his stomach, so he went to the bathroom, uh, sick, and Sarah, his wife, you met Jeremy and Sarah, followed him to check on him, and she slipped, and someone else, she slipped in vomit and fell, got all over her clothes. He came out of the bathroom, she said, Jeremy, I fell in your vomit. He said, it wasn't mine. I hesitated to hug my daughter-in-law goodbye that day. But uh, what an experience. And I don't know why I did that. We've got lunch coming up soon. But it, it, it was, it, it, Bubba Gump shrimp was on there, fried with, with cocktail sauce. 
catfish fillets for, with tartar sauce was on that sheet. Maybe they had pig's ears and pork rinds. I don't know. But remember, he saw a vision. God spoke out by a vision. Remember, John actually saw a holy city. God, while he's awake, God says, there's a city. John said, I saw a city. He saw the things of the end times unfolding. God spoke in an audible voice sometimes, didn't he? Spoke out loud to people. He spoke in various ways to many people in different ways. And here, what is he doing? He's speaking out of a burning bush. The bush isn't burning up. Here's fire. Here's Moses now. Takes his shoes off. You know, uh, shoes were considered unclean according to Psalm 60, verse 8. Muslims take them off at the mosque. Grecians take them off in their temples. Asians take them off. They believe they're dead or always with them. And people take their shoes off for different reasons, some for just cleanliness. And so he takes his shoes off because it's holy ground. This word holy here in verse 5 is also translated in your Bible, consecrated. So here you have consecration. In verse 6, we have the covenant. So we have here three things. We have the place of consecration, the place of the covenant, the place of compassion. Because the covenant's referenced here when he says Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And then in verse 7, it says here, uh, this place of compassion. The, the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction. So there's a compassion. If you need an outline, there's one. But here in verse 6, he says, I am, I love that, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am. One of those great I ams. The word am is italicized, but the Hebrew word means I am. So it's the word I, and so we, we point that out. He's the I am of the Old Testament. Remember, he said in the New Testament, Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. This is the Lord here in this bush. So many reasons we know that. So he's the I am, present tense. I and my father are one. If you see me, you've seen the father. And look, once Moses hears that in the last line of verse 6, he's afraid to look. And this Hebrew word is the most powerful word of fear. It's like the New Testament word, phobia. It, it's, it's such intense fear. Moses is now shaking in his boots. He was getting up close to get a look, and then the Lord spoke and said, I'm the God of your fathers. And that just shocked him. And now he's fearful. Of course, you don't need to be afraid unless you have sin in your life, but he's now fearful. And here he, he says, I am the God, and he goes on to say, Abraham, it says that Abraham was, I mean, Moses was afraid to look on God. Verse 7. Not only was he the I am, verse 7 says, I have surely seen. I have seen. Then it says, I have heard. And then it says, I know. I know. That word know could be translated, and you know it could mean I understand. Don't you love that about God? Huh? He understands. You know what's going on in your life right now? He understands. You say, well, pastor, I don't understand. No, you don't, but he does. And I love the compassion of the Lord. He understands. He understands your fears, your shortcomings. He understands when you do dumb things. Haven't you done some dumb things in your life? You're ashamed to go back to the people you, who saw you do them to say, you know, I'm sorry, that was really dumb. That was really dumb. And, and he's a God that knows, but a God that also understands their sorrows. I understand your sorrows. For 430 years, they wanted to be free from Egypt. 
And finally, God in his timing is going to give them freedom. Now, what about all the people that died that wanted freedom and wanted this and that? I don't know about them. If they're believers, they're with God, and they understand now. It's hard to understand for us. It's hard to understand what's going on in our world, at work, in our homes, with our kids. We're just sometimes bewildered, but God always understands. In verse 8, I am come down to deliver. This is not God in the flesh yet, but God, the angel of the Lord, has come down to deliver them from Egypt. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to take a man, Moses. We'll talk about that next week. A man who felt insecure and incompetent. I know there's been times in my life where I've just felt, oh boy, I'm not going to measure up. Years ago, I was up at a church, T.D. Burgess was the pastor's name, up in uh, Kentucky. And uh, Brother Frank Rosser said to me this morning, I want you to speak this morning. I said, okay. It was a pretty good-sized church. And then he introduced me. And he talked about me, about this and that. And I thought, man, someone else must be here. I, I'm, I'm, I, he's really bragging me up. And the more he bragged, the more insecure I felt, because I knew I didn't measure up to all that. <laughs> we have a veteran missionary here today, built a church, and did this. And the more I thought about it, my pride's coming in there, then my insecurity right behind it. Before you know it, I want to just run out. What if God didn't in, in put on my heart the right things to say? The people were left saying, boy, was that a letdown. He bragged on that guy, and he was, <laughs> you know, that's how you think. And, and sometimes you, you, someone brags on your abilities, and then you can't measure up. That's how Moses felt. God's calling me to lead these people, and you're going to find out how insecure he was last, next week. I think of how brilliant Moses was. I don't measure up to Moses, and you don't either, probably. You think, well, he's a smart guy. He could do so many things. He knew the, the culture and the language of the Egyptians. I mean, that's so hard to learn another language, to, to, to understand their culture and be able to stand up to a pharaoh. He would be afraid. I mean, uh, I'd hate to be in Russia and have to stand up to Vlad, you know. I don't like Vlad. I might say something I shouldn't say. <coughs> be dead. He poisons you, you know. Uh, and, and so we, we feel sometimes incompetent and like we, we couldn't qualify. And that's how Moses would feel. We'll learn that next week. But God said, I am come down to deliver. Now, who's going to deliver, Moses or God? I am. I am. Anything you've ever done good in your life is because of God. It's not because of you. And we understand that. We understand that. And this great phrase here in verse 8, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. That word hand is a great word. It's translated power. It's translated might. Jehu drew his bow with all his strength. It's translated Nehemiah 5.5. 5. Neither is it in our power to redeem. It's in his power. That word hand's a great word. The Egyptians were a mighty force. They were the world's powerful army, the most powerful army in all the world. They ruled. They had all those Egyptians as slaves. What an army they had. They had everything. And God said, I'm going to deliver you from them. And he says, I'm going to deliver you from, from all their oppression. He says, he says, verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. 
the affliction of my people. In chapter 2, verse 11, it talks about their oppression. In chapter 2, verse 13, their affliction. Uh, They served with rigor and they were bitter in in chapter 2, verse 14. I mean, these people were very miserable under Egypt. They wanted out. They wanted freedom. And so we have this great shepherd who's going to lead them. But as God often does, he uses an under-shepherd. He uses just a person to do his work. You know, all of us would like to see Jesus in the flesh right now. All of us would like for him to speak in an audible voice. We'd like to see a sign from heaven. Do you know what God does? He just takes people like us and he puts thoughts upon our mind, ideas in our heart, and then he manipulates us. You know, when you go and you feel compassion and you give to a cause or you help someone, you know, who's put that idea in your head, who's, who's led you to that God. He leads today in that still small voice. And it's hard for us to comprehend that God is speaking to us, not out of a burning bush, but he's speaking. And he says, I've come to deliver. And my time is now. And he is reaching out to Moses and he's going to reach out and answer the prayers of the Egyptians, excuse me, of the Israelites. Verse 10, we have the under shepherd. Love this. Here in verse 10, Verse 9, he said he's going to lift them up and bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. But the land has the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites all there. They're going to be your enemies. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me. He hears their cry. His compassion is seen here. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send thee to Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Come now. Now's the time. Look at Acts chapter 7 for a moment. It'll be our last stop, Acts chapter 7. Of course, Luke wrote Acts, and he's speaking here in Acts chapter 7. And this is a great little miniature story of Genesis in Acts 7. And we're going to look at verse 23, and we're going to just see where we get um, the ages and the times and so forth. Acts 7, 23 says here, And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Verse 30. And when he was 40 years old, there expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness, Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame. So 40 more years have expired. Verse 30. Then verse 36. He brought them out after they showed the wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. So 40, 40, 40. 40 when he fled. 40 when he came back, 40 when his life ended, 120 years as he he led them out of Egypt. And that's a great way to read Genesis in a nutshell. 40 years. He, He was qualified but didn't realize it. He was humble. And folks, it's about, really it's about availability rather than ability. Most of us think, well, would he use me? Moses would shepherd sheep and then shepherd Israel. Peter, who was a fisher of fish, became a fisher of men. God will use your ability and your skills to do what he's called you to do. And we're all different in the way we're gifted. Our skills and gifts are different. I love this story about G. Campbell Morgan. This is just a great story. 
G. Campbell Morgan, famous preacher, I have his commentaries, you've heard of him, was one of 150 men who sought entrance into the Wesleyan ministry in 1888. He passed the doctrinal examination, but then he faced a trial sermon. And the auditorium, which held 1,000, only 75 people came to listen. And when Morgan stepped in the pulpit, the vast room, and searching and looking for support and so forth, the eyes were mostly critical, and he came up short. He preached a bad one, is, is what he thought. Two weeks later, they posted the list of the people who made it, and 105 were rejected. And he was one of those rejected, the great G. Campbell Morgan. His daughter-in-law wrote in her book, A Man of the Word. He, 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 he wired his father that day and told his father he had been rejected. They didn't ordain him. They didn't allow him to become a pastor. When I was ordained, I remember this. Someone asked me at my ordination, what are you going to do if we don't approve you and don't ordain you today? I said, well, God's called me to preach. That's all I know to do. And they liked the answer. I didn't think of the answer. In my dumb young 20-something-year-old life, I just said, well, I guess I'm going to preach because God called me. And this is what G. Campbell Morgan did, didn't he? He didn't let them discourage them. Rejected. Years later, Morgan said, God said to me in the weeks of loneliness and darkness that followed, I want you to cease making plans for yourself and let me plan your life. He was rejected on earth, but accepted in heaven is what his dad told him. Doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter what man can do to you. When God calls you to do something, whether it's to be a housewife, which is the greatest calling to be, and for any ladies to be a wife to her husband, that's just such a great calling. Or, or whether it's just to be a city sanitation worker, like I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, guy in my old church. And by the way, my old church somehow got news of my thing, and I got calls and all kinds of encouragement from them as well. But I had a guy in the church that came up, so I'm just a sanitation worker. I said, what do you mean just, you know? That's great. You're working. Hey, folks, you know how many bums there are out there? He was working. That's great. If your calling is to be a plumber or, or, or to be an office worker, a manager, a typist, whatever, thank God for that. Do it to the best of your ability. God will enable you, and he'll utilize you for his work. You see, that job you think you have is just really a, a way for God to get you in next to that person you work with to share Jesus with them. How many stories have we heard about people who went to work and someone at work was crying or sobbing and they said, are you okay? Yeah. And who do you think they talked to? They talked to that Christian that's been nice to him day in and day out. Hey, we're in the battle for Jesus. And it's not easy. And God's asking us to do some things we really don't think we can do. But God has it all planned out. And he will use us. And the more we depend on him, the more powerful our ministry becomes. Amen. Because he will work miracles to enable you to be successful. But you have to depend on him. Because we can't do anything. We can't, I can't work a miracle, and you can't either. But when God is in us, controlling us, guiding us, there's power in that. Yeah. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for how he spoke to Moses. Today, how he speaks to me and he speaks to you. He's an awesome Lord, isn't he? Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, Lord. And Lord, we're in your presence this morning. 
I don't know any heart here, but you know every heart because you're God. I don't know what's going on in lives, but you do. Our altar's open. If there's someone here, Lord, that's not saved, I pray they come forward and say, I need to be saved. But others may need to come and pray. I don't know what's going on in the hearts of anyone here, but you do, and you're an awesome God. And so I just pray you speak not only this morning, but continue to speak throughout the week. Bless now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.